Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lentz, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you download our free Living Truth app. Now, here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, called God's Amazing Love. We are starting a new book tonight, and um, I changed in the middle. Um, I was saying we were going to go to Joel, and I was in my office in the last couple days and praying and contemplating where we needed to be, and we are going to be in Ephesians instead. So I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 1, and that may have been on my heart because you guys have, you Wednesday nighters have been through a lot of tough books. We went through Isaiah, 66 chapters of Isaiah. Then we went through Hosea, and you guys stuck in there. And even though beautiful, wonderful books filled with a lot of hard, tough, in-your-face teaching. And so I figured you guys needed a break, and I think the Holy Spirit (laughs) was saying that to my heart. So anyway, we're going to be in Ephesians, and if you were to sum up, the letter to the Ephesians. My son was up here leading worship a little while ago, and uh, he, I don't think he knew what I was preaching on, but all of his songs fit with Ephesians because Ephesians is a letter of love. That's what the letter is about. Ephesians has been called the crown and climax of Pauline theology. If you really want to understand the gospel, you know, you go to Romans and probably Ephesians would be high on your list to understand what grace is all about, the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the bride of Christ. The ladies are going to do a a bridal tea this uh, Saturday, right? And the whole theme around that bridal tea is that we are, as the church, the bride of Christ. And Ephesians really captures the mystery of the church, Jew and Gentile together in one family in relationship to the groom, we are the bride of Christ. That's the beautiful imagery that's found in Ephesians. So let's pray before we start. Father, thank you for the folks who have come on a midweek night to study your holy word. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It flows from the Holy One. It flows, it is literally breathed out by God and it is profitable. And as we go through Ephesians, we're going to see the great wealth of the believer, the riches that we possess in Jesus Christ. And we do not want to live like spiritual paupers when we are rich in Christ. We're not talking about earthly riches. We're talking about ultimate riches. We're talking about being wealthy where wealth really will last, and that is in the kingdom of God. We know that uh, when it comes to earthly riches, moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal, but where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. And you've seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The beautiful thing is, representatively, we're already there. And as we think about um, our good friend and brother, Scott Arnold, going home to be with the Lord, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He was already seated with Christ in heavenly places. And now the full realization of that is Scott is enjoying your presence. And, and one day we will as well. And Ephesians gives us that beautiful position of the believer in Christ. It tells us of the the majesty with which you have loved us, God. So 
Um, we just want to pray going into it that our hearts would be encouraged, that we would understand what salvation is about. And this, this letter is not only about understanding, but it is about applying it. It's about doctrine, but it is also about duty. And I pray that we'll be able to respond to the, the grace of God in a way that brings you glory. Guide us by your Holy Spirit, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 1, uh, the grand themes of Ephesians are Christ and the church I mentioned. And I, I do want to, because we're doing an intro tonight, and we're probably just going to cover the first six verses, I want to take you to one of the theme verses, which is found in Ephesians 5, verse 32. Ephesians 5, verse 32. Paul says, the mystery is great. And there, the Greek word for mystery is musterion. Uh, whenever you see mystery in the Bible, you'll see this idea of a hidden uh, truth, once concealed and then in the New Testament revealed in the church and in Jesus Christ. So a revelation is a truth disclosed or revealed. A mystery is a revelation concealed. And when the New Testament unfolds and we begin to see the revelation of the gospel, we begin to see the mystery of the church revealed. Once a mystery, now revealed in revelation. That's what Paul is doing. He is disclosing the fact that the mystery is great. I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church and the whole of Ephesians 5 is really going back and forth between marriage and the spiritual reality of the church being the bride of Jesus Christ. The phrase in Christ in the letter to the Ephesians is found 22 times. And one of the most important things that a Christian can do is understand your identity in Christ. 22 times you'll see in Ephesians, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. If you are in Christ, then you are forgiven. Because you are so closely associated with his finished work, his perfect life, his death, his burial, and resurrection, that you are beloved of God. God sees you through the finished work of his son and you possess eternal life right now because of that work. I mentioned to you that one of the major themes as well is Jew and Gentile being found in one church. That's found in Ephesians 3. If you look at with me uh, in verse 6, it says, well, let's go back to 4 so we can get the context. And referring to this, Ephesians 3, 4, you, you read... Uh, you read, excuse me, and by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, Ephesians 3, 5, which in other generations not, was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been, notice, revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So there's the idea of Gentiles. And if you are not Jewish, you are a Gentile. And the amazing thing about the church and how it unfolds in the New Testament is that Jew and Gentile come together. And that is something that's major when you think of the Bible because Jews really didn't think that Gentiles had much of a place in the kingdom, if at all. And Gentile converts had to be baptized into uh, Judaism. And then they had to basically be accepted into the culture to be saved. But in this case, there is now no distinction between Jew and Gentile, for we are all one in Jesus Christ. So as Paul's letters typically go, the first three chapters, if you're looking to dissect the letter, will be doctrine, 
Chapters 1, 2, and 3 will focus on who we are in Christ. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6 will focus on duty. Now that you know who you are, this is what you ought to do. In the famous chapter in Ephesians 6, we will end with the armor of God. And we will look at the warfare of the believer in Jesus Christ and how we can suit up with the reality of who we are. The letter is written by the Apostle Paul. Most scholars agree that he wrote the letter between 60 and 62 AD. This is called a prison epistle because it was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in house arrest in Rome. And he also wrote other letters during this time, including Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Continuing to to set the table, go to the book of Acts chapter 28. Acts 28. And you will see Paul under house arrest. And he's been inviting people to come to his quarters as he preaches the gospel to them. And we are told after he gives this quotation from the book of Isaiah about them not opening their eyes and not hearing, he says these words. This is Acts 28, 28. He says, Let it be known to you, therefore, that this salvation of God, Acts 28, 28, has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. And when he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters under some sort of house arrest here and was welcoming all who came to him. He was preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. During that two-year imprisonment, Paul wrote, among the other letters I just mentioned, Ephesians. And we have seen uh, in our past, in church history, back to Ephesians, that people have been able to redeem time even in prison. We think of Bunyan and others. And uh, when God allows something to happen in someone's life, we might be wondering, God, what are you doing? We can think of the story of Joseph and the time that he spent in prison and he was innocent, but God has a way of redeeming those things. And he has a way of making all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, Paul identifies himself in Ephesians 1, verse 1, as the author. He calls himself Paul. Remember, originally he was called Saul. He was named after the first king of Israel, who was tall and good-looking, but uh, he blew it. He was big in his own eyes, and if he had become little in his own eyes, he would have done much better. And Paul's name, interestingly enough, means little. And so in the kingdom of God, to become big, you must become little. That's why the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. If you want to be great, you need to humble yourself. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will raise you up. But if you try to exalt yourself, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So Paul knew what it meant to become little. He was a proud man. He was a religious man. He was a persecutor of the church, and God made him get low. He knocked him off his high horse, as you all know, in Acts chapter 9, on the road to Damascus, going to destroy the church. And Jesus met him. He brought him to the ground. He was blinded, and he made him an apostle. Paul, an apostle, literally means a sent one, a messenger of God. That's what Paul was. And he was a messenger of Christ Jesus, notice, by the will of God. It was God who called Paul. And this letter is really going to talk a lot about God's call to people. That we didn't really choose God, He chose us. He wooed us. He chose us to become His own. And so Paul 
identifies himself as the author. He's been called by the will of God, and he writes to the saints who are at Ephesus. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. Producer Rob Newton here, and on behalf of Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth team, thank you so much to our financial and prayer partners. Whether you have given a one-time donation or you have become a monthly partner, you have contributed to our mission to reach out with God's truth to all people and helping listeners like you apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You've heard that before, right? Well, we mean it. Thanks to our financial partners, we have added three new radio stations this year. Our prayer is to bless our new listeners the way we have hopefully been a blessing to you. If you're a longtime listener, would you please consider becoming a $5 a month partner? That may not seem like much, but every little bit makes it possible for us to continue our broadcasts, podcasts, and free apologetic events. Please become a partner giving at least $5 a month. Visit walkintruth.com to donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. And he has a way of making all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, Paul identifies himself in Ephesians 1, verse 1, as the author. He calls himself Paul. Remember, originally he was called Saul. He was named after the first king of Israel, who was tall and good-looking, but uh, he blew it. He was big in his own eyes, and if he had become little in his own eyes, he would have done much better. And Paul's name, interestingly enough, means little. And so in the kingdom of God, to become big, you must become little. That's why the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. If you want to be great, you need to humble yourself. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will raise you up. But if you try to exalt yourself, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So Paul knew what it meant to become little. He was a proud man. He was a religious man. He was a persecutor of the church, and God made him get low. He knocked him off his high horse, as you all know, in Acts chapter 9, on the road to Damascus, going to destroy the church. And Jesus met him. He brought him to the ground. He was blinded. And he made him an apostle. Paul, an apostle, literally means a sent one, a messenger of God. That's what Paul was. And he was a messenger of Christ Jesus, notice, by the will of God. It was God who called Paul. And this letter is really going to talk a lot about God's call to people. That we didn't really choose God, he chose us. He wooed us. He chose us to become his own. And so Paul identifies himself as the author He's been called by the will of God, and he writes to the saints who are at Ephesus. Now, one thing that you need to know is that in a lot of the earlier manuscripts, at Ephesus or in Ephesus, as the NIV has it, is not there. And there's a little bit of a debate among scholars, but they would say that Ephesus may have been the first place to receive the letter, but this was more of a circular letter written to the churches of Asia Minor. 
And Ephesus may have been the first church to receive the letter, but it was really a letter for all the churches. And you could say it's a letter for all churches for all time. And I would be more specific. I'd say it's a letter for you and it's a letter for me. It was written for our benefit. It was written so that we might be encouraged in our riches in Jesus Christ. It is written to the saints who are at Ephesus. The word saint is hagias, and it means the holy ones, those who are set apart, those who are uh, set apart unto God, that which is sacred. When something is called holy, it becomes holy because it has been set apart for God. The scriptures are holy because they are the product of God. Priests were holy because they are set apart by God. When Moses came up to the burning bush, he said, take off your sandals, you are standing on holy ground. What made the ground holy? God was there. Whatever God sets apart for his holy purposes, vessels in the temple, uh, you can think of anything and think of, now make it personal, yourself. You are holy because you have been set apart by God. You have been called by God. You've been called out of the world. The church literally means the called out ones. It's ekklesia in Greek. Called out of the world and called into Christ. That's the picture of Ephesians and for that matter, much of the Bible. You are a saint. And you might say to yourself, really? I thought saints had to do a miracle. I thought they had to have all these special you know, things that they had done and live a certain way. I remember I was at a, in a men's Bible study with a wonderful man who's a Christian, but he had a Roman Catholic background, and so do I. And we were sitting at the table, and I think I was going through Ephesians, and so I said to everybody at the table who was a born-again Christian, you know something? You are saints, right? Well, somehow this struck him wrong. He still had a little Roman Catholicism, and he said, I know one thing. He was an Italian guy, and I like Italian guys because I'm Italian too. He says, I know one thing. Ain't none of you saints, Right? <laughs> <laughs> because he was thinking, you got to do something special. You, you've got to meet the requirements on this list to be a saint. And J. Vernon McGee put it very well. You're either a saint or you're an ain't. There ain't no middle ground, my dearly beloved, or whatever he said. My beloved. And so you are a saint because this letter was written to us. To all the saints, the set-apart ones, you have been set apart by God. You are a saint. Now, what makes you a saint is not your performance, because let's face it, we don't always feel very saintly. I mean, our image of saints is the little, you know, magical circle above the head. It's kind of radiating light. Maybe in our modern times, it's the, the, uh, the little arrow. There's a saint right there. No. That's not what it's about. You're a saint by calling. You're a saint because you're in Jesus Christ and you've been set apart by God. And those who have been called by God didn't always feel very special. I mean, think of a lot of the Old Testament characters set apart by God. Think of Moses. Think of a lot of the people that God used who thought, you know what, Lord, you, you need to get somebody else. I'm not the guy. I'm not the one that you should be using. And think of Saul. He writes two-thirds of the New Testament letters. And what did he bring to the table? He was trying to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. See, God delights in using people that are unexpected vessels. He turns them into vessels set apart for the Lord. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15, as he catalogs his history of persecuting the church, it is a trustworthy statement. You can take this to the bank. 
it deserves full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all. And so when you are called by God, you know, a lot of people think, if I'm going to start coming to church, I'm going to clean up my life first, because you know what, if I, if I cross that threshold of that church sanctuary, lightning is going to strike. I can guarantee it. You know, and usually when people say that, I just back away personally because I don't want to take any chances, right? But the point is, when we come to Christ, we come just as we are. He knows what you've been up to. He knows your mistakes. He knows that you've been blowing it. And he calls you to himself. And he makes you holy. You see, practically, you don't always feel holy, but positionally, you are holy. Go to 1 Peter 1. Now, Peter is trying to emphasize that what we are practically, we should be excuse me, what we are positionally, we should be practically, First Peter in the back of the New Testament. And so he does give this exhortation to the believers. He's talking about their faith, which is more precious than gold. And he says in First Peter 1.13, therefore, gird your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You're going to see that adoption is a major theme in Ephesians, and so Paul using the, excuse me, Peter using the image of a parent-child relationship says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. We all know we were ignorant before we were saved, and of course before we understood God's word. But like the Holy One, 1 Peter 1.15, who called you, he called you to himself, we're going to see more of that, be holy yourselves also in how much? In all your behavior. You know, was it W.C. Fields who said he, wrote, he read the Bible and he said, I'm looking for loopholes. Well, when you see words like all in all your behavior, it can be a real bummer because when you're looking for loopholes, you don't find them in the Bible. He says, I want you to be holy in all your behavior. Now, did Peter knows something about not being holy in all his behavior. Of course he did. See, as human beings, we're going to fall short, but we are striving to be consistent. Um, I wrote a, a young man recently, and I said to him, trying to encourage him, that, you know what, uh, I read a teacher who said at the end of every year, on December 31st, he looks back at the previous year, and he says these words. He says, I am not yet the man that I want to be but I am certainly not the man that I used to be. And see, that's what it means to be sanctified. We're not going to be perfect this side of heaven. We all know that, right? That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why he lived the perfect life. But as he is conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ, we are becoming holier. And we start to realize that in our lives when we hear words that used to flow out of our lives and now they kind of bother us. You've been listening to God's Amazing Love, Part 1 on Walk in Truth, Pastor Michael's teaching in Ephesians 1, 1 through 6. Hey, remember, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Now here's Pastor Michael. Well, God's love is absolutely amazing. And you know, the letter to the Ephesians is a love letter, and it's a letter about the love of God that draws us. It's the kindness of God. It's the love of God that saves us. It's the death of Jesus because of the love of God 
that secures our salvation when we trust in him, his death, his resurrection from the dead. And so as we study Ephesians together, I would love for you to get more in touch with the love of God, to know who you are, and to know that you're saved by grace through faith, and then that the rest of your life should be a love letter, a thank you note to God, not to earn your salvation, but because of your great salvation. And I invite you to join us for this summer series in Ephesians as we go verse by verse through the book. It's rich in content. And it's really about knowing who you are in Christ and then walking that out and even putting on the full armor of God. That's what's ahead in Ephesians, and I'm excited that you're part of it. Tell a friend about what you're hearing on this program. Keep us in prayer. And remember, we have a Wednesday night service. We're studying 1 John, and it's called Because He First Loved Us, 7 p.m. Wednesday nights at Living Truth Christian Fellowship, where I have the honor of serving as senior pastor. It's in Corona, right off the 91 Freeway and Lincoln Avenue. And it's 1009 Arsenal Way. Join us at 7 p.m. for that midweek encouragement. Remember, you can catch the service on YouTube if you can't be there in person. God bless you. We'll see you right here, Lord willing, tomorrow. One more reminder that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported program. Thanks to listeners and church partners like you, we're now on three more radio stations. So praise God. Hey, if you're a longtime listener, would you please become a partner of at least $5 a month? You can visit walkintruth.com to donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching in Ephesians 1, 1 through 6, called God's Amazing Love. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.